Last time we began to explore who they are and what their ministry will entail, and we'll continue on this now as we join Pastor Phil in Revelation chapter 11. I think that until God is done with us, we are basically invincible. The devil can, he may want to to put out the light, but he won't be able to touch you until God's finished with you. And I think of John the the Apostle. The Roman Empire tried to throw him into into a pot of boiling oil to silence him, and God didn't let it hurt him. So they banished him to the island of Patmos. Why? Because God wasn't finished with John. He had one last great revelation he wanted to give to John, the one we're studying right now, which John received while he was on the island of Patmos. God wasn't finished with John, and until God is finished with us, we are indestructible. But now, verse 7 tells us, when they finish their testimony, ah, well, different story now, they're done. The beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. The beast, of course, is a reference to the Antichrist. And we are at the midpoint of the final seven years. The Antichrist is now showing his true colors. He doesn't want the Jews to worship the God of heaven anymore. He wants to be worshipped as God. He wants to take over the temple. Why this sudden change of heart? Why all of a sudden, after letting them rebuild the temple and sacrifice to God for three and a half years, why all of a sudden does he turn like this and demand to be worshipped as God? Anyone who won't take the mark of his name is going to be killed. What happened? Well, in Revelation 13, we'll study this in a couple weeks, we find that somebody tries to assassinate this guy. He looks like he's dead, but of course I don't believe he is but he looks like he's dead. The world will think he's dead. And suddenly he will be resurrected. Of course, the devil always wants to counterfeit what God does. And so you got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You got a demonic or a satanic trinity, Satan, Antichrist, false prophet. And the Antichrist representing the true Christ. Well, the true Christ was truly killed. Third day rose again. The Antichrist the devil is going to make it seem like he was killed and miraculously came back to life. The Bible says when he comes back to life, though, the devil himself is going to enter into this guy. And now he's going to show his true colors. And that's what I think is going on here. It's when the two witnesses finish their testimony that God allows this scenario to take place and where the Antichrist is now possessed by the devil himself and he kills the two witnesses because now God is finished with them. So he is able to kill the two witnesses. And verse 8 says, And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So what are we talking about? Jerusalem, right? 
Jerusalem is the only city in the Word of God that God calls His own. He doesn't call Chicago. We know Chicago didn't exist back then, but He doesn't call any other city His own except Jerusalem. And it's sad, well, Jesus, of course, wept over the city of Jerusalem because they had turned away from God. And it's sad that the city has gotten to such a point where God now likens them to Sodom and Egypt. I mean, places that were defiled and totally pagan. Um, I think America is fitting into that category too. A nation once under God, that God raised up to be a light to the whole world, has turned its back on God to the point where I think God weeps over our nation. And I shudder to think what's coming to this nation. But verse 9, Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies Three and a half days. The world is so happy that these two guys are dead. They don't even allow their bodies to be buried. They leave them laying in the streets for three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth. What's that the reference to? Earth dwellers. Always talking about who? Unbelievers. Always. The earth dwellers will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. The whole world is going to be able to see their dead bodies lying in the streets of Jerusalem. Do you know that wasn't that long ago, just a few decades ago, that that was scoffed at? Another example of how the Bible can't be trusted. How could anybody see something happening in one part of the world? How could everybody all over the world see that event? Oh, you guys that believe in the Bible, you guys are messed up. Bible is just a bunch of fairy tales and so on. Well, of course, we know now that through the advent of telecommunications, we, we routinely watch sporting and news events, you know, all over the world at the same time, live via satellite from all over the world. I mean, that's quite a prophecy when you realize it was made 1,900 years ago. When you think about that, 1,900 years ago, God said in his word, there's coming a time when people will be able to all over the world watch an event taking place in one part of the world. You can imagine how people thought about that for many centuries. Yet we just take it for granted. Because we know it's true. But when this world leader, this Antichrist, finally rids the world of these two troublemakers, you know, by killing them, well, he is going to be looked upon by the people of this world as a total hero. And the world is going to throw a party where everyone is going to begin to party and send each other gifts, you know, kind of like a satanic Christmas, you know. I can just see hallmarks coming up with a whole new line of cards. <laughs> Happy Dead Prophets Day, you know what I mean? Just the, the world is just rejoicing. In fact, it's the only time during the entire tribulation period where we read that people on the earth celebrate anything. Isn't this sad? They're celebrating the fact that God's light has been extinguished. The two people that God had sent to help save them, they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear it. You know, I personally believe, folks, that one of the things that's going to make hell so horrific is not just the utter darkness. I mean, you think about the fact that even unbelievers, you know, in Him we live and move and have our being, even unbelievers, whether they realize it or not, partake somewhat of God's nature. The love, the joy, the peace that they experience in whatever amount, these are all attributes of God. 
Can you imagine an environment where you are totally cut off from all that is God and all that is left is nothing but the negatives? I mean, there's no joy. There's no peace. There's no light. There's no love. There's no happiness. There's nothing to look forward to. Nothing except the absence of God combined with the fire that burns forever and ever and coupled with all of that, the realization that, you know what, I didn't have to be here. People were telling me about Jesus Christ. I wouldn't listen. Can you imagine these people who wind up in hell? I mean, I tell people, you know what? It's not easy to go to hell. But if you try really hard, you can get there. But you have to try really hard. Because know this, God is doing everything in his power to get you to be saved. Because he loves you. He won't force it on you. He did all the work, though. He sent his son. He has put us in a country where nobody, none of us can say, I didn't know the truth. We have access to the word of God, which for centuries people didn't have access to. We, have, we can own as many Bibles as we want. This generation in America has absolutely no excuse. And if people put their heads down long enough and charge ahead in their rebellion, eventually they can, they can rebel and rebel and resist God until they die. And when they do, they're going to come to a horrible realization. There is a place that they are now going to be spending eternity in, and they didn't have to be there. And that's, I think, part of the horrific part of hell, the gnawing every day realization that, why didn't I listen? God tried to tell me. He tried to warn me. And I would not listen. How would you like that every moment of your existence? In a place of absolute, utter darkness and torment, etc. Now, after the Antichrist slaughters these two witnesses, I believe he goes directly into the temple and sets up his image in the Holy of Holies and demands to be worshipped as God. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 24, verse 15. He said, therefore, when you see... Now, it's again, he's talking about seeing something taking place in the temple, but something that all of Israel is going to be able to see. Well, how? No doubt because of television. But when you see the abomination of desolation, this is the Antichrist image being set up in the Holy of Holies. It is what's called the abomination that causes desolation. This was all prophesied by Daniel the prophet. When you see it standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. He goes on in verse 21 to say, for then, he says, take off, man, run. Don't even go back into your houses to get any clothing. Just take off. Verse 21, for there at that time will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no nor ever shall be. Now, if you're a Jew, that, that would send chills up your spine because as you read that, knowing that Hitler exterminated 6 million Jews, and yet, if there are 15 million Jews in the world today, which some people believe there are, uh, the Bible says two-thirds of them are going to be killed under the Antichrist. So 10 million people, just Jewish people. That's why this period of time is called the time of Jacob's trouble. A time when the Antichrist is going to be especially pouring out his fury against Israel. Why? Because the devil is behind the Antichrist, and the devil has always hated Israel. And we're going to see more of that next week in chapter 12. Now, in Revelation 11, verse 11, 
Now after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet. Oh, man. And great fear, it doesn't even have to say this next part, great fear <laughs> fell on those who saw them, and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. Man, I tell you what, I just cannot help visualizing this. Here it is, CNN, ABC, NBC, the major news networks, you know, televising this event. Here it is, day four. Look at their bodies still laying in the streets. Look at the celebration going on. These two, these two radical religious nutcases who gave us all such a hard time. Look at this, you know, and the people are just having a Mardi Gras, you know. And all of a sudden, what? They're moving, you know, they stand up. Can you imagine that? And then suddenly a voice from heaven says, you know, come on up here. Up they go. Wow. This is going to mark the beginning of the end. Things are going to become much worse for the people of this world from this point on. Verse 13 says, In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The uh, Greek is a little ambiguous here. It literally says 7,000 names of men were killed in the earthquake. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, J. Vernon McGee said, and he's not alone, he said this is an idiom to indicate these were no ordinary men. These were men of prominence. He says they were the ones who had gone along with the Antichrist, men whose names got into the headlines when Antichrist came to power. Now, what were all these hotshots, these, these muckety-mucks doing in Jerusalem that when the earthquake hit, 7,000 of them were killed? I don't know. Possibly they were there for some kind of a political summit of some kind. And God allowed them all to gather in one place and then brought the earthquake, which, why, can you imagine 7,000 leaders of nations around the world? That would create a lot of havoc, wouldn't it? So these were no ordinary guys, it seems like. They were world leaders who had thrown their weight behind the Antichrist, and now God brings judgment, and uh, they are killed, along with probably many others in the earthquake. Verse 14 says, The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming. In the Scriptures, when you see the word woe, like in Isaiah chapter 5, or right here in Revelation, uh, we first see this show up in, I think, chapter 10, now 11, uh, it's, it speaks of judgment. The word woe implies God's judgment. Now, the second woe was the sixth trumpet. But from chapter 10 through where we are in chapter 11, we have been in kind of a parenthetical place. In fact, it runs through chapter 14, where we've been kind of looking back, not just at the sixth trumpet, but even back to the very beginning of the seven years when God first started to pour his judgment out, and we've been kind of looking over that period of time, zeroing in on some things that happened back then to, for God is giving us greater uh, clarity, amplifying some of the events to give us a greater understanding of what has already taken place. All right, we've talked about that. Uh, and the third woe was going to be the seventh trumpet. 
And in verse 15, it says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. These loud voices are no doubt angelic heralds making an announcement throughout heaven. Every king has his heralds. God is a king, and he has angelic heralds that uh, that go in and make announcements like the angels did when the uh, to the shepherds that night that Jesus was born. All right, these are angelic heralds, and so now the word goes out through all of heaven as they announce the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Now the question that comes to our minds is this: How can the statement be made in verse fifteen? that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ, when in fact we still have the seven bold judgments yet to come, and Jesus doesn't come back to the earth to establish His kingdom until chapter 19. This has confused a lot of people, and you get some real strange interpretations. Let me try to give you what I think is going on. I think that some of it is summed up in the statement, then the seventh angel sounded. Remember that you have the six seals, and the seventh seal contains the seven trumpet judgments, which contains the seven bold judgments. So we have already said that technically the seven seals contain all the judgments of God. This angel sounds the seventh trumpet. Now we know that that's going to unleash the seven final, what is called the final bowl judgments. And even though they haven't technically been poured out yet, They won't be until chapter 16. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. But I think to fully understand what's going on here, you have to understand that this is what is called a proleptic statement. A proleptic statement. What does that mean? These are sprinkled throughout the New Testament. A proleptic statement is something, it's it's an event that is so certain in its coming, and because it is so absolutely certain it's even put in the past tense as if it has already come. Now, again, you see these statements sprinkled throughout the Scriptures. Uh, One of the classic examples of this is in Romans 8, verse 30, where Paul said, and you all know it, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So it's telling us that believers have been predestined in eternity past to be children of God. At one point, God calls us. That's where eternity and time intersect. That's where we, who have been predestined in eternity past, suddenly, wherever we were when Jesus began to really call us, what did that look like? We just started getting interested in God. He began to work in our hearts. We, we were drawn to Him. We were drawn to the Word of God. We wanted to know the truth. And as God called us and we were drawn, somebody witnessed to us, or we opened a Bible and read it, and we accepted Christ, and we were justified. We were saved. So we have been predestined. Those of us who are Christians have been predestined, called, justified. But we're not yet glorified, are we? And yet Paul uses the past tense because it's a proleptic statement. It's absolutely certain. There is no way you could be predestined, called, and justified, listen to me, and not be glorified. Nobody falls through the cracks. 
Nobody comes so far in their Christianity, loses it, and are lost. And we'll talk more about this on Sunday in a couple weeks when we talk about how we're sealed by the Spirit in Ephesians 1. Somebody gave a good illustration of this, how that, you know, even though Jesus has not technically taken the throne yet and all the other judgments have not been poured out, yet we're talking about things that haven't happened yet in the past tense, okay? Uh, They said, look, uh, this November 5th, we're going to go vote for a new president in the general election. Somebody is going to win that election. Somebody is going to be pronounced the new president of the United States. And there's going to be a lot of celebrating in whoever campaign camp wins, even though they won't technically be sworn into office for another two and a half months after that. But they're already the president in a sense. They're just not the active president yet. They haven't taken full control yet, but they are, in fact, the president, or they will be. It's kind of the same way with Jesus. He is the winner. He has vanquished the enemy, and he will be enthroned soon, from this point very soon. I like what Pastor John MacArthur said. He said, I quote, The seventh trumpet sets in motion the final consummation of God's redemptive plan for the present universe. During its tenure will come the final fury of the day of the Lord judgments, the final harvest of the judgment on earth, and the Lamb's defeat of the kings of the earth, culminating in the final climactic triumph of Christ at Armageddon. The sounding of the seventh trumpet signals God's answer to the prayer, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. That answer sweeps through chapters, listen, 12 all the way through 22. As God finishes his mighty work of reclaiming creation from the usurper, which is Satan, end quote. Of course, you remember that that's why Jesus came to the earth, was to defeat the usurper. When God created the world, he gave it over into the hands of Adam and Eve and their descendants, and they were supposed to watch over it, and they were in charge of it and so on. But Satan came in the form of a serpent, tempted Eve and deceived her, and she ate the forbidden fruit and gave to Adam, and he did eat. And at that moment, whether they realized what was going on or not, by disobeying God and obeying the devil, they gave the devil control of this world. He took it over. He became man's new master and the world's new God, in a sense, the God of this world. And Jesus came to take back from this usurper. He didn't have really have a right. God didn't give it to him. But Jesus came to die, to pay for our redemption, to buy the world back out of the hands and control of Satan. Now, you remember when Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, at one point the devil came to him, and among the temptations he took him at one point up to a high mountain, Showed him all the kingdoms of the earth in a moment's time. What did he say to him? All these are whose? Mine. And I can give them to whoever I will. I'll give them to you if you bow down and what? Worship me. What was Satan? First of all, Jesus didn't challenge that, by the way. When Satan said, all the kingdoms of the world belong to me, Jesus did not say, you liar. You rotten liar. No, he didn't say that. He knew he was right. And what was Satan trying to do? He was trying to say to Christ, I know why you're here. You're here to reign. I'll tell you what, don't go to the cross. I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. The same thing he does with us, basically. You know, you want what God wants to give. You know, God, 
Has God things for you, you know, that only come by going to the cross in the sense by dying to self? That's how we really appropriate all the blessings that God has for us. Got to die to self, right? Got to go to the cross. In the process of doing that, our light shines and more people get saved. Satan doesn't want that. So he comes to us, whispers in our ear, you know what? You want peace. You want joy. You want fulfillment. You want, you know, fame and fortune and whatever it might be. You don't have to go to the cross. Don't become a Christian. You follow me. I mean, there's all kinds of ways people follow the devil, right? Whether they're Satan worshipers or don't even realize they're following the devil. But it's all the same entrapment to get you to bypass the cross, to satisfy your own desires directly. In trying to do that, you realize that no matter how much you acquire that this world has, it may satisfy for a time and it leaves you thirsty for more. But if we come to Jesus and die to self and receive him as Lord and Savior, we drink of the living water that only he can give. And you know what? We never thirst again. And as Peter said, Lord, where else can we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. This world has nothing in it that I desire anymore because I know that nothing in this world can satisfy me like Jesus can. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him, day by day.